Good morning, church. How we doing? Good, man. There's a good crowd of you here this morning. It's good to see all of you uh, here with us today. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here at Fusion City Church, and I get the, uh, the honor and the privilege uh, most weeks uh, to stand up here and to be able to teach out of God's Word as we as a church family learn together. Um, and, and, though, and I mean that, that we're really, we're learning together, that there's, there's a lot that, that I get so much every week. And I was thinking just a few minutes ago, standing in the back there and I was singing, I had the tree thing going on, I had my hands up and in and, and worship. And, you know, of, of all the guys and, and people that have influenced my life, you know, when you, when you decide to become a pastor, lots of people want to speak wisdom and truth into your life. They want to help you and they kind of guide you along the way and teach you some things. And one of the things that they teach you kind of early on in pastor training, I don't even know what that is, but like pastor training or whatever, like the things that you can't say from stage. Um, and I think this morning I'm going to add something to that, and it's going to be sinus drainage. Like I, I don't know, I, I, was, I was having a great moment of worship, and then Jonah was like sinus drainage, and I was like, oh. So, uh, yeah, new, new um, like X from stage is uh, <laughs> the phrase sinus drainage. I would just cut that from our vocabulary for stage communication. But uh, like, like Jonah said right before it, it got off, man, we love to have a good time here. We, we love to celebrate what it is that God is doing in and through our lives. And, and we, we do that by having a good time. Yeah, you know, I, I told somebody not too long ago, I spent a long time in church not knowing that it was okay to have fun. And so we, we as Fusion City Church, man, we're trying to make up for lost time. Like we just want to have a good time. We believe that there's a lot about God that we can be excited about. Now, uh, like I want to get into the, I can talk all day about the good things God is doing. So let me kind of segue here into uh, what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, which is this idea of necessary sins. Now, if you're kind of hanging out with us for the first time today, you might say, now what in the world is a necessary sin? Well, here's how we've kind of defined it for the last few weeks. That sin can kind of be divided into two categories. That there are the sins that all of us would say are always wrong. Things like, like murder and, and rape. I think most of us would probably say stealing would kind of fit into that or whatever. But then there's this other kind of subcategory or other category of sin. And it's like, you know, come on, let's just be real. Everybody does it. And, and, and not only does everybody do it, but everybody does it worse than I do it. Right, And so because there's this kind of separation between you know, these sins that are always wrong and these sins that, hey, look, if everybody's going to do it, why don't, we just, why don't we just accept it and say, you know what, yeah, we kind of know the Bible says some stuff about that, but come on, let's just, let's just lighten up a little bit. Those, those sins are not only just kind of part of our life, but we would maybe even say that they are necessary. And what we found throughout the course of this series is that even though the the world may say those sins are kind of necessary and hey, let's just kind of lighten up a little bit, that God has a very different opinion about those very same things. And we talked about things like lying. You know, it's okay, just tell the little white lies. You know, it's like, well, then we read that God detests lying lips. And then we talked about gossip, right? I think all of us went home that day with our toes a little sore because we were really challenged and conflicted by the fact that, you know, gossip shows up in a lot of places in our life. And God has a lot to say about the sin of gossip. And then last week, we dug in even a little bit deeper, something that, that all of us probably struggle with from time to time. And we talked about lust and then the lust of our eyes and the things that we see that we want that, that have an overwhelming effect or power over us. 
And if, if it wasn't bad enough last week for me, I told you guys last week that that's one of the ones I've really struggled with, especially at different seasons during my life. Man, for me today, it gets even worse because today we're going to talk about anger. Oh, yeah. Like, like if, if, you, if you really, if you were a little bit terrified about the gossip and the lust message, when we talk about anger, come on. Like, that's everybody, right? How many, how many people have ever been angry? Yeah, okay, there's every hand in the room, right? And if you're not, then we'll go back and listen to the one about lying, right? So, like, it's all of us get angry. And, and here's the thing. I, I think that, that a small disservice has been done to our thinking as it pertains to anger. That we, we believe that if you get angry, then that's, the, then that's the sin, right? I think I've heard people say, I thought Christians weren't supposed to get mad. Well, I'm mad and I'm a Christian. Deal with it. Like, you know, that's kind of been, but, but, but here, it's interesting. I tripped over my stool. That would have been bad. Um, it's interesting that the Bible talks about anger very differently than I think we perceive it. Let's look at what Paul said. Paul, uh, the, the apostle Paul wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody else Paul said this as it pertains to anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you're following along on the version app on your phone, we'll have it there, or we're going to put it up on the screen. Paul says this, verse 26. Be angry. That, that's what Paul said. Paul said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun Go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So, so Paul says, wait a minute, be angry, but don't sin. So be angry and then don't sin. See, the two are not synonymous. They're, they're in fact very separate, though they are, they're separate but connected. And here's what Paul is saying, that it is possible, it's possible to be angry and not sin. And I think all of us would know that it's possible to be angry and do sin. It's bad English, but it's good preaching. All right, so, so be angry and don't sin, and then we can be angry and do sin. There, there are two different types of anger. And so what I want to do this morning is spend just a little bit of time talking about what those two things are and then describing them a little bit so that we can avoid the kinds that are and relish in the kinds that are not. Because here are the two kind of categories that I'm going to separate them out into today. There's, there's what I'll, I'll call today sinful anger. That's the bad kind. That's the, the angry and do sin. But then on the, on the flip side of the same coin is this other category of anger where it is anger without sin. And we're going to call that a really, really churchified term. We're going to call that sanctified anger. All right, now, if, you're, if you don't have a history or a background in church, the word sanctified or sanctification is a process by which God changes something in our lives to make it holy or to make it better or to make it righteous. Once a, as we believers become followers of Christ, the rest of our lives are this process of sanctification or becoming more holy or becoming more like Christ. And what we're going to see today is that it's possible to take our anger and sanctify it, to use it for something constructive, something good. Before we do that, though, I want to hit this, this piece really quick before we move on. That in the, the verse 27, Paul gives us a warning. He says, don't let the sin go down on your anger. Do not give an opportunity to the devil. 
Now, I've tried to, to kind of touch on this every week throughout the series, but I want to take some time today as the last week of the series and make sure that I hit this with all the emphasis that I feel like it needs. We have a very real enemy. Spiritual warfare attacks on your life, on your conscience, on your spirit are very real. And I, what I think we, we tend to do, especially like right, like right now, we got Halloween coming up on Friday. And we get into this season where it's fun for, for some of us. Other of you don't like it so much, but it's fun to, to you know, go to the haunted trails. And we think about demons and scary things and ghosts and goblins and all that other kind of stuff. And I think that even, even inside the walls of the church, what we've, what we've managed to do is to kind of lump this this thinking or this thought process as it pertains to Satan and the devil into the same category of this mystical thing that's mysterious and just supernatural and because it's supernatural and mystical and spiritual, like we just won't talk about that. I'd rather deal in reality and ignore the spiritual. And the reality is that you can't because we as believers, we have a very real enemy. The Bible says that he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And one of the greatest ways that he can cause destruction and calamity in our lives is when we get angry. He's very real. And if you are, the the closer that you connect yourself with Christ, the more spiritual warfare you will endure. So you need to hear me. The closer you get to Christ, the harder it gets. The stronger you get because you're closer to Christ, but the heart of the attacks. And the flip side of that is very true. If you aren't experiencing any kind of spiritual, like, I don't know what you're talking about, pastor. Like, the devil just leaves me alone. It's probably because you're not doing very much to take ground for the kingdom. I'm just, I'm just telling it how it is. I ain't trying to be mean and make you feel bad or anything. Just, but you got to understand that when you begin to take ground for the kingdom, Satan doesn't like that very much. He starts to fight back. And if he's not fighting, it's because you're not doing very much. We just got to be honest with ourselves. Now, with that said, let's move on and talk specifically about anger. As I said, there, there are two different kinds. There's, there's sinful anger and then there's sanctified anger. I think we all know what sinful anger is, right? Sinful anger is selfish. It's, it's, it's anger at somebody for something that happened to me. It's self-defensive. It's self-serving. Anger that is sinful has all to do with Self, But this, this other kind, this sanctified, this righteous anger is anger at anything that God would also get angry at. Here's, here's how we determine the two. All right, let's take a look at it. Sanctified anger is anger at the sin that exists in someone else because we realize that that sin then separates them from their heavenly father. Selfish anger or sinful anger is I get angry at the person because their sin annoys me. You see the difference? When we become angry that that person has something within them that separates them from God and it also happens to annoy me, then we have begun to then separate the sin from the sinner. We have a, there's a real churchy cliche, and I, I normally try to avoid those because most of them are really cheesy and whatever. But there's a really popular Christian cliche, and this is, what, this is what we say in church world. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. And though it's churchy and it's cliche, it's so true. 
that we have to be able as followers of Christ to separate the two, the person from the sin. Because God loves the person. God has never been angry at a person. God is always angry at the sin in them that distances them from himself because God loves people. We've talked about that a lot in this series. And so when we begin to see with our spiritual eyes people the same way that God does, that's when we're taking a step into our anger being sanctified. So we've got, we've got this sanctified anger. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And we have this sinful anger. At 15 different times in the Bible, the metaphor of fire is used to describe anger. And here's why I think that is so applicable to the way that we want to think about it and learn together today. Because fire is both productive, fire can be useful, fire is very handy, and it can also be very destructive. And so our anger is the same way. Our anger, when pointed in the right direction and in the the right context and in the right parameters, can be very productive. Another word for anger used in the Bible is energy or passion. Passionate people, energized people can do a lot of good when pointed in the right direction. Those same people, passionate and energized, when they get angry can be very destructive. I know because I is one, right? Like that's like, that's me. You got, you got to understand as we talk about anger, this is not just another issue for me. This is my issue. There's nothing I struggle with more than this. And so for, for me, and I think for a lot of you also, let's, let's see if we can find a way to, to put out that sinful anger. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, I'd ask you to, to write that down or fill that in on your version. That for sinful anger, we want to put it out. If we go back to the, the reference that we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, And in verse 27, it says, to give no opportunity to the devil. I looked up that word this week in the the Greek language, the original language. It was written as the word topos. And and topos can be translated several different ways. If you have a different translation that you're reading from, it may say foothold. Um, The one that I found most interesting, it can be translated as the word place. To give no place for the devil in our Lives. We got to be careful with our anger. In other words, we can't give him a room. That's what. There's no room in the life of the believer for sinful anger. And sinful anger. Remember, anger is not the sin. It's the response to when we get angry, how we deal with it. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking because this was a. a kind of incorrect thinking that, that I had at one time in my own life too. You're thinking that you can't control your anger. That, that your anger and the things that you do when you get angry are not a learned response, but a natural one. And you're wrong. In the same way that I was wrong. You see, our anger is controllable. See, uh, here's, here's what you may be thinking. Yeah, but when I get angry, Pastor, I just, like I'm so, I just, I see red and I lose control and I can't help it. And I, I just can't, I lose control of it. I don't have any way to, to, to kind of rein it back in. And once I'm full on angry, there's nothing I can do to shut it off or stop it. And you're wrong. Let me prove it to you. Because you've all either done this or you've seen it happen. Now for me, we used to pick on my mom for this, my brother and I. Because she was, she was pretty bad about it. And this, this is where I learned this, but now I've seen it happen even in my own life, especially as a pastor, because we kind of got to maintain some, you know, we got, people think I'm nice most of the time, and I, got, I, like, I like that you think I'm nice most of the time. And so here's what it looks like. I'll give you the example. Here's what it looks like. 
I'll be at home with my wife and we'll be in a, a disagreement. We'll call it a disagreement. We'll have a disagreement. We'll have a high volume disagreement, right? And I, I can't believe that you did that. And what happened? I don't know. What, I don't know. What were you thinking? It was just, oh my gosh, I'm so mad. And then the phone rings, right? And I can't believe, oh my God. Hello? This, 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 yeah, yeah, this is Pastor Brian. Yo, you need me to pray for you? Absolutely. Just bow with me. Let's pray right now. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. You've done it. You've been in the throes of the worst argument you've ever had in your life, and the phone rings, and all of a sudden, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Because it is controllable. If anger were not controllable, then in that heated argument, when you answer the phone, you can't just shut it off like that. Because how we respond to anger, it is learned. And it is controllable. And as believers, we have a mandate. That, that this is the mandate. I, I, I'll read it to you. We, we looked a lot in, in James chapter 1 last week. I want, I want to look. Again, this is what he says. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to do what? Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's uh, it's a bit frustrating to me that James uses the word slow. I'm a I'm I'm a quick kind of guy. I like stuff to happen quickly. What I've found in my life that the the times that I get most angry is when I, I want things to happen and I want them to happen quickly and they don't. That's when I get most angry. When somebody or something or some situation or something interrupts the quickness with which I want life to happen, I get angry. But, but look at what James says. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And if we're trying to figure out a way to eradicate this sinful anger that exists in our lives, church, we got to slow down. And I think we got to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm, again, chief sinner among you. We got to give people the benefit of the doubt. Here's what that looks like. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Right? There's nothing more frustrating and send tempers through the roof. But before... You tell that person that they're number one. What, what, what if we did this? Man, I wonder what it is about their life that has them so distracted. I wonder what's going on with them. I wonder why they're in such a hurry. I wonder if something bad happened. But would that be slow to speak and slow to get angry? Sure. What, what about that? Oh, man, what about, what about that lady at work that you just can't get away from? Because she loves to talk, but she's so annoying. What, what, if, what if that lady is a single mom? And those may be the only adult words that she gets to speak all day because once she gets home, it's nothing but toddler speak. Or maybe she's, not a single mom. She's got a husband at home who doesn't really pay her much attention. 
And this is the only real human interaction that she gets to experience every single day is you sitting there and painfully listening. Man, what a great way to minister to somebody. If we can just slow down a little bit, stop getting so frustrated and annoyed and just give people the benefit of the doubt. That's how we begin to practice sanctified anger. So here's what sanctified, here's what we gotta do with sanctified anger. Anger pointed in the right direction. Man, we gotta fan the flame. We gotta turn that thing into an inferno. If our anger is at the same things, the injustice and the immorality and the things that, that God gets angry at, then that, that's where our passion should lie. And God wants us to be a passionate people. We've got a lot to be passionate about. And we don't, he don't want a little bit of passion. He wants big passion. So when we have our anger and our energy and our passion pointed in the direction of things that God would love us to be pointed at, we've got to fan the flame. It's okay to be angry at the things that displease God. Jesus got angry there's an account in Mark chapter 3. We'll read it here in a second, but, but just kind of some context so you understand. The, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, hated Jesus. He was teaching some stuff that they didn't like because he said he was God and they didn't think he was. And it was, they were mad. They were angry. And one of the rules that they had was that in the temple on the Sabbath, there would be no healing, that no healing would take place on the Sabbath, that that was a, a dereliction of what God had taught. And so Jesus knew that these religious leaders, they're just looking to pick a fight. So Jesus obliges. And there's a man there that has a hand that is all, just kind of crinkled up. He can't straighten out his hand. And this is what Mark chapter 3 verse 5 says about Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders. He said this, and he looked around at them with what? With anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. So, so Jesus, the son of God, who in himself never sinned, looked at these men because of their hardness heart and he was angered. Never sinned, but he got angry. It's righteous anger. It's sanctified anger. Here's the best way that I can, that I've found to ask the question to make sure that my anger is the right kind. Here's the question. What injustice breaks your heart? What are the things in this world that you see that you know are separating our world from their Savior? What are those things that break your heart, that make you angry because they exist? What are they? And when you identify those things, you begin to, to look at those with the same anger that God does. And you become passionate about eradicating that injustice or, or whatever it is. And that's when we're pointing in the direction that God wants us to go. Now, again, we got to be careful. We got to be careful with that. Can't let the, the sun go down on our anger because it gives the devil an opportunity. And this is, the, this is the place where so many Christians get it wrong. And they begin to equate the sin or the injustice with 
the person that's participating in it. And we got to be careful with that. We got to find a way to separate the sin from the sinner and hate the thing that separates people from God and love the person that's separated. Else we fall victim into giving the devil an opportunity to turn our righteous, sanctified anger into something sinful. Anger is powerful, but it's dangerous. We got to be careful. Because we carry an incredible message as followers of Christ. We have a tremendous opportunity as believers to be the hope and the peace and the light into a very dark and dying world. And we've talked a lot in this series about a lot of those things that exist. We talked, again, we talked about lying, we talked about gossip, we talked about lust. And I don't know about you, but for me, man, this has been a really challenging series. And I felt very convicted over the things that we've talked about. But the reason that the message that we carry is so strong is because it's one that's rooted in love and grace and mercy. And so here's what I want to do in, in, in just kind of in a, in a manner of closing out the series and closing our time together here this morning of, of reading God's word together. Is I want to remind us of the character and the nature of the God that we believe in. Because, yeah, I, I've been challenged because I have lied. I have gossiped and I've experienced lust and I've certainly displayed some sinful anger. But if there's a verse in scripture that I love as much or any of the rest, it's Romans chapter five, verse eight. And this is what it says. It says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. See, while we were still lying, gossiping, lustful, angry sinners, while we were far from God, while we were distant and the, the, the worst of the worst, God still loved us enough to give his son so that we could have a relationship with him. And church, that is the hope that this world needs. And so regardless of what you've experienced throughout this series and maybe how guilty or challenged or convicted that you felt, here's what, I, here's what I want us to look at this morning. I want us to look at the hope that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Because God loved us enough that in our sin, he said to himself, they're worth saving. They're worth having a relationship with, even at the greatest cost to himself. God sent his son Jesus to die so that you and I could be set free from the penalty that is attached to our sin. And in so doing, God made a way for us to once again be restored into a relationship with him. God is perfect. In him, there is no imperfection at all. And you and I in our sin are imperfect. And the only way that our imperfection could be removed so that we could once again be in relationship with God is for his son who knew no sin and had no sin, who would die for those who were in sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his life and his sinlessness 
for our sin and our death. It's something that the Bible calls, or that we in the church world call the great exchange. That Jesus imparted his righteousness to us so that we could be seen as holy by the Father and once again be able to have a relationship with him. Church is the best thing that's ever happened for any of us. And if we ever lose sight of that, then we've missed the whole point of what God called us here to do. It's to share that same message of hope and love with the world that needs it. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much this morning for the opportunity that we've had to to come into your presence, to come before you, to open your word, to listen, to learn, to sing, God, to lift up our voices to you in song. And God, my hope is this morning that for every single one of us, God, that today would be a day of thanksgiving for us. That we would remember today, God, that even in the worst place of our sin, God, while we were still a long way off, that God, you sent your son to die for us. So God, now in this moment, would you bring to the forefront of our minds this very true and powerful reality that you love us. That you've called us to a a life of purpose. That you looked at us even in our sin. And God, you went first. Loved us when we were unlovable. Gave us life when we were undeserving. And God, now what you desire from us is response. That we will begin to live our lives in a manner that looks like we've been given something that we couldn't get for ourselves. So God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, for the gift of your son, the life that is found in him, one that is full and abundant, joy-filled, God, would you help us to embrace that so that our interactions with other people, God, we wouldn't get angry so quickly. God, would you help us to embrace that so that we can begin to to fill ourselves with you and eradicate the, the lust from our lives. God, would you put wholesome talk into our mouths so that we would be known as trustworthy and not as a gossip. And God, would you remove from us anything that is untrue? Because God, we know that you delight words of truth that leave our mouths. God, would you help us to be a people of integrity? God, it does nothing for our lives for us to merely acknowledge our sin. God, if we don't take step into celebrating the forgiveness that exists in the life and the form of your son, Jesus. So God, this morning, would you help us to lay down all of those things that so easily entangle and trip us up? so that we might once again fully embrace your love. God, make us a passionate people. Point us in the direction that will be the most effective for your kingdom so that more and more people may come to know the love of a God that would give his son for them while they were still sinners. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in the mighty and the powerful matchless name of your son, Jesus. Amen.